Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome back to season two of No Holds Barred podcast. Today I'm joined on the line by Rianne. How are you doing, Rianne? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm really well. Thanks for speaking to us. Today we're going to be talking about a condition you you, you uh, have lived with pretty much since birth. It's called scoliosis. Can you explain what that is to people that probably don't know listening? Yeah, so the simplest terms, it's curvature of the spine. Um, I guess if you look at x-ray of a normal person their spine obviously just goes from their hips up to their neck in a straight line yep whereas mine is an s shape um and also sort of like twisted around 360 which is a nice like added bit of zhuzh um what so it's like it it, it runs so most most people like you say straight and, and forward yours is curved and twisted yeah so the hips don't go like they're not in the same plain as my hips if you know what I mean they sort of jut out front to back yeah and then also if you look at the spine straight on it's s-shaped I know you Ree. um I I can't I can't tell I have I, I can't tell that your your spine is twisted and in an s-shape why is that well because I've had the surgery to correct it so it's not actually in an s-shape anymore although it is still very like wonky where it leaves my hips so most people can't notice it uh, because it's not as bad as it was pre-surgery but I certainly notice it and if I showed you like if I pulled my like top tight you would definitely be able to notice that on my right side I have like a quite a protruding like hip and my bum sticks out more than on the left side it's sort of a normal hip shape and most people don't notice it at all they just sort of think I've been told before somebody thought that I just sort of had a bit of an attitude problem and I always sort of stood with my hip <laughs> hip sitting out and I do have an attitude problem but it's that's not why um so yeah if, I, if you would notice it if I showed you but yeah not a lot of people don't think don't think they can see it, but you can when I when I show you. Okay, so when if someone is how, how do they find out they have scoliosis? It's something you can see in the form of a baby when it's very young. Well, in my particular condition, like it was when I was born. I'm, I'm going to tell the story so badly, and there might be medical professionals listening to this who think it's nonsense. But my understanding is that 
when I was born, I was breech. And so then you have to go and see um, like hip doctors to check that it's not messed you up as you came out. Breech means feet first, right? Yes, yes, sorry, yeah. And so when they did that, the, I had an extra bone in my hip. Um, and I, I only know this now because the, the surgeon that I saw when I was like much older said that the doctor I'd have seen as, as a baby would have noticed it, but for some reason didn't ever flag it to my parents, which is just a really bizarre thing. So the bone in my hip is what's caused the whole problem. And it was picked up when I was a baby, but nobody mentioned it, told anybody. Um, so we didn't know anything. We didn't think anything was wrong. I was sort of discharged from the, you know, being a baby, everything was fine. And then when I got to, uh, about 13, 14, I was a dancer. And so, you know, doing ballet and stuff like that, it's all about your alignment of your body and flexibility and stuff. And I just sort of noticed that on one side, my hip was just sticking out a little bit more than the other side. Um, and asked my mum, I was like, can you see it? Do you notice it? And so she took me to the GP and then it started off the process of being diagnosed from there. So, so up until that point, you, you were pretty much oblivious to the to the to the fact that your your spine wasn't lined yeah. correctly. Yeah, yeah. Like I, ne- I didn't have any pain. I didn't have anything. I was nothing. There were no problems. Um, it was only when I got to about thirteen. And I guess maybe it's because it's like puberty, and so your body just starts going mad anyway, and you get hips and bum and all that kind of stuff. And so it was at that point. Yeah, that I just noticed it was look. It looked wonky. I, I wasn't in pain. I wasn't struggling. Nothing like that. So, um, it was just sort of. It was either vanity or just the, the dancing that made me go. Oh, that looks a bit weird. That's probably not right. Yeah, but um, when when you're a teenager, that it's not everybody's vain. Well, not it's not even vain. I think it was more of a self consciousness. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, All right. So yeah. you're you're talking about this really matter of factly, but. Mm. I guess it was that kind of your life before the, your diagnosis was quite calm in, mm-hmm. in terms of your health. Yeah. But afterwards, it was much less so, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. And I think what because you you go at thirteen and the GP starts looking into it and you get you know you have millions of scans and X-rays and all sorts of things going on. Um, referred to specialists and you get that diagnosis and um when I think I was referred to like Birmingham hospital because obviously I you know from Coventry and the surgeon who I saw the pediatric sur- pediatric surgeon was awful he was just a really horrible guy and I remember he sat on the um uh the like the, the the gurney thing opposite me as he was talking to my parents and he had his knees up on it like he was just like chatting to a friend for a coffee mm-hmm. and I remember his like trousers had split and I could see his boxes and oh so like the, he was just horrible and his trousers <laughs> I just thought who is this geezer um and he was really flippant he's like yeah you've got scoliosis and you're never gonna dance again you're never gonna do any that sounds like that song doesn't it I'm never gonna, gonna dance, dance again <laughs> uh, sorry it's distracting um, he was like you're never gonna dance again and all this stuff and you need this massive surgery and like just you know bombarded this girl at 13 with all this stuff um and yeah it was difficult because like I said I didn't have any side effects at at that point I wasn't in pain it wasn't stopping me doing anything and so to sort of you know it felt like I'd opened a can of worms why did I open them yeah at that point um 
because it, it wasn't affecting me in any way. And I was like, oh, God, now I know this. And now they're saying they're going to do all this mad stuff to me. I should have just kept my mouth shut because <laughs> what was the point of bringing it up that my hip was a bit wonky on one side? What if you had left it? Well, <clears throat> at, the, at that point in time, when I was 13, they basically said to me, "Don't you need to have this surgery, but don't have it because you're still growing and your spine will change, your body will change. And so if we do it now we'll end up having to do it again later. So just leave it. Um, and that was all that was sort of said from him. Um, and when I saw the surgeons later on, when I eventually did have it, they said that if I hadn't had it, basically the spine would keep curving. And again, I'm sorry to any doctors who are listening to this and I'm explaining it badly, but they would keep curving. And basically it would almost sort of concertina, so the, the angles of the bend on each of the S bends would get would get narrower or bigger, whichever way you look at it. And basically, I would be squashed to the point where I didn't really have an abdomen. It would just basically be like hips and then shoulders. Do you know? I I understand, and and I've I've seen people who, who have that who have obviously left it or never been treated, typically mm-hmm. from much poorer countries than ours. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you see the the, the um how deformed the spine is yeah leads them to be to have to almost walk at an angle their head's much lower than it should be and the hips are protruding to one side much more than they should be yeah uh and so so potentially that that could have happened to you and then maybe they would have realized that actually no we need to do this now but for whatever reason or or for the right reason you decided at 13 that you is that right that you're gonna have an operation when when did you when did you decide and your parents decide what that you was going to uh, so 13, we said we're not going to have it because he was like, you're still growing and blah, blah, blah. And at that point, like I was, my whole life was like dancing, singing, theatre. Like, I was real, you know, stage school, one of those kids. <clears throat> and so at that point, I was like, you know, you're being hit with this bombshell of, you know, like I said, you're not going to dance again. You're not going to do all this stuff. You're not going to make it to the West End stage, which I probably wasn't anyway, let's be frank. But, you know, being told that, for sure you're not because of this condition was heartbreaking. And so I sort of just thought, I'm just going to keep on. I'm going to keep dancing. The thought of stopping was just too much to bear. So I, we didn't do the surgery at that point. Like I said, it wasn't causing me any issues. So we just sort of thought blindly just carry on until that it gets to the point where you need to. And so, um, yeah, I just carried on living my life. And I went to uni and I was studying drama. And I remember... I think it was my second year we did this um, theatre production and I got a really, really amazing grade and I was so happy. I've worked really hard for this this, uh, show that I put together and on my feedback from my tutor, it said, like all these lovely things, and then it said, you need to work on your posture. It really affects you, the way you move on stage um, and all this kind of stuff. And I'd never told any of my... Um, lecturers or anybody that I had this condition I didn't want people to make allowances or feel sorry for me you know you need to be measured against your peers equally it was my feeling Um, and so then that sort of really hit me because it was just like well I can't pretend that I'm going to try and enter this industry and it not affect me anymore like it is going to affect me 
and I can't bury my head in the sand anymore. Uh, Rick, can I just bring you back just a second? What? What? Yeah. So, so you, to the, so that age, that age was what around nine, at nineteen, twenty. Yeah, something when, like that. Right. So, and, and so, pretty much, you've you've been able to live your life as you wanted it from yeah. thirteen to to this age. Yeah. Okay, so it hasn't really held you back. It, it was. It hadn't affected you emotionally, really. You just had this right. foreboding feeling that this will need to be done at some point. Yeah, exactly. There was. It, it caused me no issues, no pain, no nothing at all. Okay, so you're in your 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 second year at uni, and you've got this this amazing piece of work that you've produced, but it's becoming acutely aware that you'll you'll never be able to compete with the people around you because scoliosis is going to stop you from doing that. But you didn't want to tell them because you wanted to be competing on an equal level yeah didn't no, no part of you think actually this is this is quite useful um why could you know this could be something that other people don't have and look i can still dance or was it was it more like a didn't want to have to have to be seen as a sympathy case or a charity case what, what was the what was going through your brain well i think by the time i was 20 i'd stopped dancing because uh, well, uh, I guess it is, it's inaccurate to say it hadn't affected me at all. It hadn't in terms of day-to-day life and pain, but in terms of dancing specifically, it had and c- because my flexibility on one side was drastically less than the other side. And so it affected my dancing quite a lot. So I'd stopped dancing by this point, but I was still doing, you know, acting and singing. So that was sort of fine. I was okay with not dancing. It's just, I, I was just doing the acting. So that was, I was fine with it. So they um, noticed something about how you were moving on stage as an actor. Yeah, exactly. Okay. But yeah, I could I could have used it for I guess you know, you know, make allowances or give me special dispensation or you know I I could have used it, but I've just I don't ever want to feel like I've succeeded because I've been given a helping hand. I want to know that if I've done something good it's because it's it's as good as somebody else's it's not good in spite of this thing it's good you know regardless of that it's just good yeah and and ultimately in acting in theater part of being good is being able to move well and hold yourself well and having good posture and all the things actors train to have and if I don't have that I shouldn't be given allowances like ultimately I'm just not cut out to do it I'm not don't say not good enough but you know I don't make the grade Really, yeah, that, that's that's admirable, right? And it's a really strong thing to say. Uh, but th- this our society is geared up, it geared up to to make allowances for people that can't do it because not through will, but but because some sort of uh, event or physical mm-hmm. um, physical issue prevents them. And it's a much more understanding um, culture that you probably yeah. could have benefited. But knowing your story and how you are. And, having spent a fair amount of time with you, I think that attitude, and it, it, that's a part of who you are, mm. and you're not willing to to let difficulties get in the way of, of potential success. And, and you're probably the least woe-is-me kind of person that I've met, because I know your story already. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, what? so what's... What, um, so, so, so tell me about how you've gone from this to, you know, you're, you're realising that, you, 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 this is something you need to consider quite soon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we got to like my second year of uni, and that yeah, like I said, those those comments from my lecturer sort of really stuck with me. So at that point, I think I just like you know, like I said, no pain or anything. I just thought, let me just let me just check in with the doctors and see what the crack is. Like I've not seen a specialist since I was thirteen. 
let me see what I can do. And so I went back to my GP and sort of got back into the system to have it looked at and investigated. And, you know, for a while, it was just sort of, um, they were they were brilliant, the, the, the GP that I saw at uni, and they referred me to like Pilates classes, and they were like, you know, just strengthen your core, maybe that'll help you a bit if you don't want to do anything major then just try all these things and you know of course you do all that stuff and it was great and it does sort of help to a certain extent I guess um but ultimately you know my scoliosis is quite severe and I was just sort of delaying the inevitable and so I sort of just then became resigned to the fact that it needed fixing and I was going to wait until I'd graduated then I was going to have the surgery and then try and forge some sort of career off the back of that. Um, there was no point sort of, you know, trying to start a career and getting X far or putting X amount of effort in and then stopping for a year to have this surgery. I thought, right, rip the plaster off, graduate, have it done and then figure out what the hell we're going to do. Um, you know, everyone finishes uni and sort of spends a year going, oh, I don't know. Mm. So... You kind of saved yourself from an existential crisis because that's what <laughs> that's what happened to me when I left university. I was like, oh, my God, this is it. Work now for the rest of my life. Um, yeah. Whereas you're like, actually, now I'm going to have a, a major operation and see what happens, which is <laughs> at least you yeah. at least you've got a purpose. Well, um, let, I think this is a great time Reed, to just to explain just how huge this operation is, because when yeah. people the word operation can mean almost anything like in terms of medical procedure it's something tiny or something huge this is major major surgery yeah it is um and it it was sort of made worse in that it went wrong for me a few times but i'll explain the whole process and please do yeah everything and again you know this is just my understanding of what they did to me so i'm sorry if i'm telling it in the you know it's not cor- correct medically um but it's yeah, it's like a it was it's like a ten twelve hour surgery, and the, they start off by they you start on your on one side and they took out uh, one and a half ribs from my left side. So they opened you up your body. Opened me up, took out one and a half ribs. Um, and my understanding is what they did is they ground those ribs up into like a powder. And basically use that bone to help fuse the, the the back later on. So rather than using like an artificial substance, they use your own bone to help fuse your other bones. So they, the foot, they start off by taking that bit out and sew you back up. And then they flip you onto your front. And then they cut you, well, they cut me from the top of my spine, but to the bottom of my neck, down to the bottom of my back. So the whole thing sort of like unzip you. Um, and then they sort of break your back in a few places. Obviously, there's quite a lot of risk in terms of your spinal cord. Luckily, spinal cord was fine. Um, and they then they, they, they drill screws into your um, bone, your spine, and they then attach rods either side and twist the whole thing round into the position that they can get it most straight and then they use the bone that they've taken from your ribs and sort of I think of it as like paper mache like paper mache around the 
the brakes basically to basically you know how everybody else has got vertebrae individual vertebrae and you can move between them so you can bend your spine and twist and all that stuff they fuse mine I can't twist I can't bend my spine so they use that bone to fuse in between the vertebrae together um, and then the metal was holding it in place like scaffolding um, so that that whole process t- took about 12 hours I think it was something like that a long long time how did you feel when you woke up and that's a stupid question but it must have been horrendous yeah I mean I can't remember I mean (laughs) that's the lovely thing about the human body isn't it you just forget I mean I remember the few days after being in excruciating pain and um but I, I don't honestly know. I was just hazy and you just feel ill and rubbish and um, you just are lying on your back. So you're not moving or doing anything. So you're in pain, but it's not too bad because you're not having to do any tasks. You're just sort of lying flat on your back. You're in pain. You get the pain relief and you feel a bit, you know, groggy and a bit blur. But at that point, you're just sort of like, okay, it's done now. Now I'll start recovering. Um, but then that was at the point where it went wrong for me. So it, the whole thing sort of started again. Um, so like, do you want me to explain what happened afterwards? Of course. Um, yeah. So, so then, yeah, you, I was, you know, you're just lying in bed and you're recovering and that was all fine. And, uh, I remember I just kept getting really hot and cold flashes and the doctors were saying it was the morphine I was on. It was just a reaction. Um, And then I remember lying in bed one night and I could feel, it felt like water was pouring down my back because all I could explain it, like like a shower. And I remember telling the doctors, and I feel bad saying this because my surgeon actually is an incredible guy and he turned out to be very lovely and understanding, but he's got a, a, a short fuse, I will say. His bedside manner is not always great and so at that point in time he was just like you're being dramatic you're fine you're fine I was like I'm not fine please can you you know look at this and he did and then realized that I had quite a severe infection uh, in my back somewhere I guess I don't know whether it's like in the metal work or like in somewhere basically I'd, I'd contracted an infection and it actually turned out that another guy on the same ward as me I believe who'd had leg surgery had also got an infection so I don't know whether it was something to do with the operating theatre I mean I don't want to blame anyone or anything I don't know any details but no, but also the major in major surgery you know infections are they, can, yeah. they are a possibility and yeah. it's a, it may not be anybody's fault and it, it may be just that you're unlucky um, exactly. but, but why I guess my question here then would be why did is that the only way you could spot it by him physically looking at your back did they not want to move you uh you know why didn't they just someone just check your back when you first started complaining about it was it just too difficult to do that well I think because I think yeah maybe it was too difficult because I think at that point I hadn't moved physically like I hadn't rolled over or anything or if I did need to roll over the nurse it was a big job for the nurses to like get you on your side and keep you flat and safe and the bone hadn't set and stuff so it was it was quite an undertaking for me to be moved so they ha- they weren't checking my back all the time and li- looking at the stitchiness of the way that you normally would, I guess. Yeah. Um. So 
it it just came down to me having these flushes and feeling this this water whatever it was um to make to make them realize and obviously then they do your blood tests and you have you know mad readings and they realize what what the issue is um yeah so um, so what happened then so then you go through this like gross procedure called debride debridement i think is the word but basically again my understanding of this is that i went down to surgery they open you back up again along the same scar and they get some sort of like i, I imagine it to be like a jet washer yeah. with antibiotics and they just sort of like go shh and flush out your spine um so they the, the, the gross part about it is they do that they flush you out and then they pack your back full of some kind of wadding or sponge or something mm. and then wrap you in plastic but they leave you open so your back's not stitched back up again You're, oh my god it's open with packing and plastic and then there's a pump inside your back that is attached to a machine at the side of the bed which is sucking out all the gunk oh so my you're, god. Like, you're lying on your back but it's open it's not closed so you're like you lay there for like two or three days and then you go back and have another debridement so you go back to surgery they take all the wadding out they flush you out again pack you back up again cling film you and you're lying there with this suction thing um and that happened two or three times i think it was um and then they sew you back up again and i believe you still keep that suctiony thing in um but it's attached in a different way or it's like through your lung or something at the side because I remember um the first time I sat up in bed was when I was actually closed up after the debridements and I had the little pump at the side of me um so yeah that happened for a couple of weeks I guess it was um what and are you then, thinking? can you remember what you're thinking at the time though you're, you're thinking oh god this is a faff <laughs> Yeah, it was a massive fire. I wasn't really think, thinking it was that bad, weirdly. And I actually, what I remember is that my nephew was really young at that point, must have been one. And, you know, he, my nephew needs the love of my life. And so at this point, he's my first nephew, he's one years old. And I was like, I'm missing out on everything. And I actually, what I do remember is being desperate to start walking again, because I was like, if I can walk, I can walk off the board and I can get my brother to bring him even to the car park and I can just see him. I just need to see my nephew is all I was thinking. And I remember actually, I mean, the first time you walk is hell on earth agony and you're walking about, you know, so slowly, intensively and you're wheeling this pump along and I shouldn't have done it, but I was so desperate to see him. I just remember <laughs> wheeling myself down to the little cafe in the hospital and I wasn't well enough to, but I was just so desperate. My only motivation was see your nephew and you'll be all right. What what were some of the risks? Risk quickly before we move on. What what were some of the risks of the operation? Uh, I guess paralysis if they damage your spinal cord. Um, the the risk of infection actually they said was like some stupid number one in you know thousands and thousands and thousands. Um, but I guess paralysis is the main thing, or like you know, really being severely impaired in terms of your movement. They were the main risks. Okay, um, so go, go on then. <clears throat> so you've you, you've got this terrible infection. You're having to go for these terrible procedures that sound horrendous. Yeah, um, I'll try and through the rest of it because it did sort of go wrong a couple more times after that. Great. So then, 
let's let's hear it (laughs) (laughs) so then you go home i had to have this tube put in my arm which went through directly into your heart right um and it was to give me that blast me with these really strong antibiotics because they'd done the debridements but you still have to be on this strong stuff um so i was like discharged sent home thankfully my mum moved to london into the flat i was living in at the time to look after me and she's an a uh, former nurse so she every day like twice a day would have to inject this these antibiotics into my uh tube in my arm into my heart and i had this massive like uh plastic um what do you call it what's the bloody word for it like a back brace that's it so if i was walking around or anything i was in this humongous contraption and I couldn't walk far and I couldn't sit up, you know, you're trying to get stronger and all that kind of thing. So anyway, she was giving me these antibiotics in my heart. And after a certain period of time, every time she gave it to me, I felt like my chest was on fire. It was excruciating pain. It was really, really bad. And there was one day um, I was just like really vomiting. I was really, really sick. And we went to A&E and the doctor was like, I can't even begin to treat you like this is something to do with your you know operation or what's going on you need to just go home so we contacted the, the my surgeon again and I went back into hospital and he basically said that I was having a severe reaction to the antibiotics so the antibiotics that were there to fight the infection were basically fucking me up um so they were admitting me back into hospital and they put me in a like a room on my own because my immune system was just trash at this point. And they basically said, you need to, we need to take you off those antibiotics because of what they're doing to you. But your infection now is not being controlled. Um, and you will get septicemia basically if we don't treat the infection, but the antibiotics don't work. So there was one, my understanding again is there was one sort of antibiotic that, is like mega mega strength and they were like look we can put you on this for three days maybe some some period of time to blast your body to get rid of this infection which is what we now need to do ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. But it's such a strong antibiotic that you can basically be at risk of kidney failure. Um, and if this, if this antibiotic doesn't work, it's really bad, basically. Yeah, you could have died, uh, right? Yeah, because this infection was at this point come, you know, back with a vengeance, and they had to put this really strong stuff in you to fight it. But that's that in itself puts your body in the under immense strain because you're having this high, high strength antibiotic. Um, so that was just horrendous. Like I've never felt so ill as you can imagine in my entire life. Was you afraid? I was terrified at this point. That was the one point that. It just hit you then. Um, and my mum's a fucking strong woman, like, and seeing her reaction to me every day, she'd come in and see me on that bed, and she'd sort of try and hide that she was crying and go, I'm just going outside for oh, a minute. And I knew her heart was breaking. And so I was terrified. And, you know, the antibiotics themselves, they give you, like, they're so strong, they fuck up everything. So my hair started falling out. My, um, I don't even know if it was the antibiotic. There might be people listening to this going, that's impossible, but it was happening. I don't know what it was, but it was happening to me. And you get like ma- like horrendous like thrush in your mouth as your whole mouth just fucked. Like, everything was just horrendous. And they do these blood tests. I was having them twice a day to like check. There's some number they were looking for in your blood to check that the infection is going down and that your white cells, I think it was, was were at a good level so that you weren't getting septicemia. And I can't, like I said, I'm vague on the details now, but every day they would come in and they would tell me this number and you're just praying, praying. I mean, I'm not religious, but you're praying to somebody that this number was coming down because if it didn't go down, it, it was bad. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think I can't even remember now how long I was in that state for on those antibiotics and things, maybe a couple of weeks again. Um, and thankfully, obviously, because I'm here now, thankfully it worked and I didn't get kidney failure. I was sort of on the precipice for a long time, but it worked and the infection went away and I got better. I got out of the woods. And so at that point then, I was sort of discharged home again and, you know, still taking a concoction of drugs and stuff. But it was at that point then I started my actual recovery that I should have done the first time. So, you know, walking and stairs and being able to sit up for more than seven minutes, all that stuff then started, you know, three months, however many months after it should have happened. How old are you now? Uh, 21. Okay. So... A lot, as a 21-year-old girl, mm. you know, you should be at that age going out, having fun, um, you know, just really starting to experience the world probably in a, yeah. in a, in a real world as, as an adult whose brain is starting to form and understands the world much better than you do when you're a teenager. You're probably not making stupid mistakes that you did make as a teenager <laughs> and you'll be able to see see the world. But in your instance, you're, you're like, well, firstly, you have this horrendous um, operation, you nearly die. And yeah. and then you've got this recovery where, mm. as, especially I'd imagine as a woman, quite difficult as well because, mm. you know, you're 21. You, you want to, you're, you know, you. We all at that age use our bodies 
for very um just for pleasure basically isn't it yeah. going out and doing things and and experiencing yeah. other people and drugs or whatever <laughs> it is you want to do and you're felt, you can barely felt, move yeah exactly and it felt so, it's so stupid saying it now but i remember when they told me that for six months after you come out of hospital you're gonna have to wear a, bra- a back brace like that to me at the time was the most devastating part of the whole thing it was like oh my god what about my clothes I, what am I going to look like wearing this back brace? And obviously then, once you're actually ill and you've come out of the hospital and gone through all that stuff and it was like putting a back brace on, I didn't give a shit at that point. Like, you just thought, I need to just get well. Like, I need to put this fucking thing on and start fucking walking and getting better. Like, but at, when they first broke the news, yeah, all I kept thinking about was, I've got to wear a back brace for six months. If I go out, no boy's going to fancy me. Yeah. I was like, fucking going out, love. You're ill. <laughs> like, yeah, but, the, but it's, isn't it amazing that going through this kind of hardship or, or um, you know, t- turmoil or challenge reorders yeah. the way you, how, how important things are. And it's, it's yeah. an important, and usually that might take someone years, 20 years to reach that point where they don't, they're, they're, they're suddenly not as concerned about how they're seen by other people as, yeah. as, they, um, as they once was. And do you know what was even stupider? It's such an irrelevant detail, but I was also going through a breakup at that point. Like I'd just broken up with my long-term boyfriend just before the surgery. So again, you know, at that age as well, that pettiness where you're like, I need to look amazing and be like, look what you're missing out on. And so I was so gutted that like, I wouldn't be on Facebook being like in slutty tops and whatever. <laughs> like, yeah. hey, look how sexy I am now. That I would be in this back raise and like, I wouldn't be able to post those sassy posts pretending I didn't give a shit and stuff. And you're just like, you're such an irrelevant, stupid train, train of thought. <laughs> well, you say you probably save yourself a lot of time and growing up by doing this, this, this going through this. Yeah, yeah, um, I think it did really. Yeah. Did you just a quick, quick? Did you break up? Did you, did you, did you break up with your boyfriend back then because you knew what this is going to be, or is it just the uh, end? No, no, no. He, um, no, he was like cheating on me. He was a bad guy. So I mean, it's a good thing you broke up, but. You know what you like at that age. Of course, of course. Um, yeah. Okay, so so you're you you're where are we now? You're you're um you're you're starting your, your recovery. Yes. Yeah. Um, what 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 happens next? Um. So I guess at a certain point, um, I you know I was I was starting to think you know I've graduated, however many months ago now I can't do the thing I've been training for since I was about four. So what are you going to do with your life what job are you going to get now like you can't be an actor or any of that stuff and so um i honestly couldn't tell you why i did it but i one of the days where i was forcing myself to sit up um to get stronger and i went on the laptop and i went on the bbc's website and i noticed that they had a job advertised for this scheme looking for people who had no tv experience who wanted to get a job in development now i didn't even want a job in development i didn't know what development was i had no desire to work in television um but i knew i wanted to do something creative something in theater or media or something um and so i just applied and I don't really know how I did that because I was so like smacked off my tits on morphine at this point. <laughs> I don't know what was in that application. Like if they had that anywhere on file, I'd be intrigued to see what was in it. <laughs> Must have been the most like mental pitches for shows because <laughs> I just was, the, you know, God knows what I was thinking. Um, yeah, I just applied and I 
got through to the next stage. And uh, it was sort of terrifying because the next stage was uh, to go to this, like, was it like a half day recruitment thing? So they had like hundreds of people, obviously, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people applied for this scheme. Um, and they narrowed it down to still another couple of hundred. And they were doing four, I think, sessions of 30, 40 people at a time in this brainstorm activity, you know, assessment thing. Mm. And they sent me the date and they were like, all right, you've got to come to West London. I lived in Hackney at the time. You've got to come to West London, the TV centre, and you've got to do this session for three hours. And, um, yeah, at this point, I could sit up for approximately 10 minutes. So getting to the other side of London and sitting in a room for three hours and coming up with ideas for TV shows was like as far away as I could possibly have been at that point. But how long how long between then and when you had to do this? I do you know what? I can't remember. Um maybe we, it was maybe it was le- it must have been more than ten minutes I could sit for. Maybe I'm being dramatic, but it wasn't long at all. Hmm. Um but it was it was a few weeks, maybe maybe six weeks or five weeks, something like that. Um and I just thought, right, that's your deadline then. You you have to be able to you have to go to this, you have to be well enough to make it. And even if you are, are lying in the back of a taxi all the way and then you go in and you do it and you come out and you're crying in agony and you're lying down the whole way back, that, if that's what you have to do, then that is what you have to do. And so at that point, it was almost like the world's most p- pathetic version of the Rocky montage, like me <laughs> really slowly walking upstairs and like trying to walk 100 metres and stuff, like just trying to get the strength up to be able to do it. Was your mum helping you through this point? Was she, yeah. Was yeah, she not she, saying to you, this is crazy? Um, I think she was just happy that I I had something to focus on because, yeah. you know, when I first came, when I came out of hospital after all the complications and your first recovering, like, I think it like anybody's would be. My mental health was just awful. It was garbage. I was so low. And she was trying to make me eat and stuff, and I wouldn't even eat. And I was just so I wouldn't get. I didn't want to get out of bed in the morning because everything was a struggle. To shower was a struggle. To everything, and I just lost all motivation. And so I think she was just then happy that I was like, right, let me do something, and was trying to actually get better and move on. And she knew it was pushing me, but you know, it was that or what I was like before that. Okay, that I get, I get it, I get it. So you got, you got your focus. Like yeah. it's almost like a, it's like it, to me when you were talking. I imagined a, a film I once saw about a a guy who broke his leg up the top of a mountain that he climbed up, and he had to get down. And if you, if you, it's a true story. And if you said that to him, you know, if you broke your leg you, and you managed to come back down a mountain, descale it. I don't know what even word would be. Unclimb a mountain yeah. <laughs> with, with a broken leg. You're like, I'd never be able to do that. I would, I'd die on the mountain. But he got back. And he yeah. did it. So, so you're you're in you're in you're in agony. You're you're a part of your recovery. It's hard to walk. You can't sit up, and you've got this deadline, mm-hmm. uh, six weeks, whatever it is, mm-hmm. and and you start moving. Um, yeah. So, so what did did you because of that determination and and movement and 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 by putting sort of speeding up the recovery process by grit and determination, did you see improvements? Uh, yeah, I did. Yeah. And, um, you know, because it, it's with all that kind of stuff, it's just it's your it's your strength and you can only get stronger by doing it more. So 
absolutely did and I sort of like started weaning myself off the morphine much quicker than I should have done because I was like it's making me makes you spaced out and makes you tired and groggy so I was like I can't be like that if I'm going to go for this thing like I need to be like on it so it was a mad combination really like bringing down your pain relief and up in your physical activity at that point it was sort of nuts but again it was just like I didn't even think I was going to get this job you know it was just it was just something it was something that was forward facing and gave Mm. me some sort of semblance of a future or something beyond this point because at this point in my life I had no options I felt I had no no job prospects no options I was physically fucked like having this one thing to go maybe this is a thing was everything um so yeah that it did it really spurred me on and I you know I got there hang on how did you so how did you feel like how did did you feel once you got when you when you was going there I mean how, how how much in pain was you how much had you achieved were you prepared for three hours sitting in a room discussing things I mean, I wasn't ready for it. It was still a lot, uh, you know, a lot to do and I was in a lot of pain and uh, I was prepared as I possibly could be. Um, but, but what had you achieved in terms of how how long was you able to sit up or stand before you went to this meeting with with any kind of comfort? Oh, I can't, I can't remember, to be honest, but the, sh- the stupidest thing about it was any time I... Anytime I wasn't lying down, I had to wear this back brace, which basically just ho- does what your stomach muscles do for anyone, all of us now, they, you know, just hold you in place. Um, and so I, I didn't do anything without that on. And I was so determined again to not go into that room and be like, who's the girl with the back brace? She's got something wrong with her or, you know, needs special treatment. I didn't wear it. Oh, wow. So I'd never sat up for any length of time or even been standing up without a back brace on. So and did you not know? Did you have any idea about what that might do, or how you might react if without it for that long? Um, I knew I shouldn't do it, <laughs> and I knew it wasn't a good idea. And I had my mum waiting in the reception of the BBC with the back brace, just so that case, yeah. if I was just, you know, in agony, I could just be like, I need to go and get it. But I just was like, I need to just, I mean, I didn't need to. I just, I just wanted to just try and be a normal person for just two minutes. Yeah. Like, just, you know, just do it without it. And I so said that, that, I didn't have a measurable at that point because I hadn't done it without the back brace because I couldn't do it without the back brace. And, you know, now I honestly can't remember how much pain I was in. And, but I don't remember struggling in the session. And I don't know whether that was just because... I was so excited to be there and so grateful and, you know, inspired to be with these people who've got these amazing jobs in telly who are talking to you and going, what do you come up with an idea for Strictly Come Dancing and stuff? And you're like, what? Like, what is happening? Um, That I don't remember struggling through it. I remember loving it and enjoying it and thinking, this is fucking great. Like, this is a job. This is brilliant. Um, And I'm sure, I'm sure to God I've got, back in the taxi at the end of it and was dying but oh I only have a positive feeling about that how long was that between your your operation and and that how how many months what was the time difference between Um, that I believe it was maybe oh god you know what it wasn't long at all actually it was it was about August and my operation was the 2nd of March wow so five six months six months 
Um, but obviously, again, because of the, all the fuck-ups and stuff, I guess maybe four months or something. So not not an appropriate amount of time. But, but, but what's appropriate? You know, this that well, drove you, you to your recovery being quicker. It gave you something to focus on. So yeah. you would say that probably was just about the right time for it to happen. Yeah, it was. I guess, I mean, they told me six months six months uh, off work. Well, three months off work, but six months with the brace. And so I did, you know, four months until I was trying to go back to work and the first time without the brace. But, yeah, I don't know. Like I said, it just it just drove you forward. So you didn't tell them? No. Didn't tell them. What, uh, the, what happened? Well, the session was obviously great because then I got through to the next stage again. And again, you're in that situation where you're like, oh, my God, like, what's happening? How... <laughs> Why are they giving me this opportunity? I don't even know what this job is. I, I applied one day just high on morphine thinking I need to do something with my life. Um, so the next stage was then like an interview where they said, you know, you've got to pitch us an idea for a game show and think of the format and who would host it and all this stuff. And you're like, oh, my God, I don't know. I haven't got a clue what I'm doing. Um, and again, that was a few weeks into the future from that point. And yeah, again, it was the same thing. I I went in a taxi with my mum, took the back brace off at the door of the BBC, and she went across the road to Westfield. You know, God I love her, walking around with this bloody big plastic contraption. Whilst I got it, went in for my interview, uh, came down, strapped it back in again, and off I went. Um, and yeah, I didn't mention it. They sort of asked they obviously asked what I'd been doing since I graduated because I didn't have any, I'd had a couple of temp jobs just between the surgery and mm. um, the thing, but they were like, you know, where have you been for a, you know, a year or whatever? And I sort of, you know, played it down. Oh, I just had a little back surgery. Yeah, I'm fine now though. I didn't want to, I thought if I, they knew how poorly I'd been or that I was still going through it, they would not give me a chance. Yeah. It's sort of the opposite of what you said earlier, Flavor. I thought that it would it would be detrimental. So I just didn't mention it. I played it down completely. Um, well, maybe it would have been. Maybe, maybe they would have said you're not ready. Maybe. You need, you need to get better. Yeah, maybe. So you're, you're probably, you might, you might, you might. What, um, um, so yeah, go on then. What, what happened? Did, 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 does this, does this story end up with you getting a job at the BBC? Yes. <laughs> I didn't even know that. Yes, it does. Yeah. Oh my God. Wasn't it? I, re- I remember, um, I remember her calling me, um, this is Kate Phillips. She is controller entertainment. I think at the BBC now she was my, the lady who interviewed me, gave me, my, gave me that job at the TV and you know, t- she's my TV mum, love her to death. And I remember she called me to tell me that I'd been accepted onto this, this job scheme. And I was just in floods of tears, obviously like what, you know what's happening and I, I can't remember whether it was it on that phone call I think it was I actually then sort of elaborated a bit further and said look you know I've had this surgery you know I wasn't being deceitful or anything like I mm. am well enough and I will be better by the time the start date comes but I'm just letting you know that that's what's happened and she was just like well, yeah you should have said but yeah fine and we'll do anything we can to support you and you know, make you be okay. How many years ago was that, Ree? Uh, t- the ten years this year. Just so everybody knows, because Ree's yeah. very uh, humble about this, but um, uh, Ree was just part of a show that won a BAFTA 
in television. Isn't that right, Ray? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you've gone from you've gone from doing an application high on morphine without with a with a really bad back that's gone through horrendous amounts of um, infection and, and recovery, and you've had an open back, which is one of the most revolting things I've ever heard. Uh, with I'll send you the pictures. No, 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 no. You're fine. You're fine. Um, <laughs> you know, and applying for this job high in high in morphine to ten years later. You know, being part of a show that's won a BAFTA—that's that's crazy, really. Yeah, it, it is bad. <laughs> it's it crazy. is, it is, it is nuts. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I, I uh, when I applied for that job, I didn't know what I was applying for. Um, it just sounded amazing, and I went through all those stages. And again, I was, I was like, I can't actually believe that people's job is to sit around and go, "What about a show where you do this?" Like, that's not a job, is it? It's just like. It just felt like a dream to me. And so I thought, you know what, this scheme is 10, min- 10 months, I think it was, long. Um, just do it and see what happens. If you like it, then make- maybe that is a job you do forever. If you don't like it, like you are better. You're in a better state than you were. You've got something on your CV and you're just you're not ill anymore. So just try it. And I was so like lucky that I did that scheme and adored every single second of it and felt so lucky like this is not a, like I said to you a million times it doesn't feel like a job um and I just loved it and it made me think wow this is the thing this is what I'm gonna this is what I'm gonna do with my life I'm gonna try and do this as a job um I so, said yeah it was very very you know serendipitous the way it all worked out and like you know people struggle to know what they want to do with their lives mm. and you know, I'm very grateful that whatever made me go on that BBC website that day <laughs> happened because I don't know what I'd be doing now without it. I mean, well, God knows. There's, there's something just not might... be, you know, having BAFTAs <laughs> anywhere near me. <laughs> um, I, I mean, it remi- I, there's something, there's kind of a um, something I live my life by and try and or done a lot of work with young people, helping train young people in my my first part of my career. Yeah, and one of the things is is you just do stuff, do things, do that. Nothing happens without you doing something. Yeah, and if you hadn't gone on that, um, gone on that uh, website at that time, then you wouldn't be exactly where you are now, and perhaps yeah. your recovery would have been different and more difficult because you didn't have that drive. So anyone listening to this thinking, "Oh, that's amazing!" It's amazing because re at one stage decided to do something, so you just need to go and do it. And so, generally, your careers are not ones that you choose. I didn't. I never even. Podcasts weren't even a thing when I left university. Yeah. And now this is all I do all day, sitting on my own and talking to a microphone. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean, just just do stuff. And like, even if you do the thing and you don't love it or you're not good at it or you'll learn something and that will help you be better for the next thing. Like, ev- like it's such a cliche to say, but every single thing is an experience. So just gain skills. Every person you meet, even if they're a dickhead, you can learn something from them. Yeah. Like, just, you know, just like, You've, you've summed it up massively just do stuff just do things that get you experience and get you opinions or just feed you or you know whatever it is just just, just do it yeah <laughs> like no, just like someone should make that into a into a brand slogan <laughs> just do it yeah. um uh Ree, i need to ask you something and it's, it's a bit of a shame uh because this is you know lovely you know rounded off lovely but yeah. you mentioned at the beginning of the pod um, that you'd have to have another surgery. Is that that's is that still a risk? 
Yeah, so when um, when I'd had this one, my surgeon basically said that the the problem, the, why I have this is because of this extra bone in my hip, or that's a big contributing factor. And so to... To, to try and make it as best as it possibly can be, they needed to fuse my entire spine from my neck down to my actual hips, I think is, is what he said. But he didn't want to do that because it would be so limiting, my range of movement. He was like, you'd just be, your life would just be really quite difficult. And he was like, you know, you're a young girl, you're 21, I don't want to do something that drastic. But he basically said, you know, you'll get to the point in about 10 years where the pain will come back. And I was thinking, well, I don't have pain now. There's no back. But anyway, he's like, the pain will be back and you'll be really struggling and you'll be struggling to walk and things will start to hurt. Um, and you'll have to come back and we'll have to do the, the rest of it, do the bottom, you know, your hips and the bottom two vertebrae that we didn't do this time. Um, but he said, don't do anything. When that happens, just call me and you can come back and we'll do it. Um, so yeah, that was, he said in about 10 years and it was 10 years, March just gone and touch wood. I'm not, I'm no different day to day now than I was last year, the year before. So yeah, I don't want to do all the chinks. No, no, don't, 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 don't do that. But, um, I don't know if I'll even have the next one because it went so wrong the first time. You just sort of think. If I if it's day to day pain I'm living with now or going back through that again, which I know it's highly unlikely it'll go that wrong again, but you know, once bitten and all that. Yeah. Also, so, also, um, the, the often you, you you hear of like the prognosis, if that's the right word, or or uh, whatever it is, like they they predict how long um the, this current um surgery will help you for, or uh, yeah. you the and 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 often you find that. It's, there's no issue at all for many many years or maybe ever and yeah. what advancements have there been in um in how to treat these things in 10 years is a long time in in medical science yeah. yeah exactly and i think i just i'm just gonna i sort of try and kid myself that i am the you know, exception to the rule like they said you it's unlikely you're going to get an infection bang i got one like yeah. they said that you that i wouldn't be able to um do certain exercises and I'd really struggle to be able to do anything and basically my my physical capabilities are going to be just walking and I won't be able to do anything else well I go to CrossFit classes and yeah there's lots of stuff I can't do but I I do them and I just think well bang I'm doing I'm doing that thing and I'm doing you know I go to different exercise classes and I've walked mountains and I'll do stuff and I'm trying to always push myself and not let them just tell me what I can and can't do and so like them saying come back in 10 years and have this surgery like you said maybe the whole medical profession's changed in 10 years and they can fix it in a different way but I certainly am trying my best to like push back on what they've told me and just get myself as strong as I possibly can be and just do what I want to do well yeah imagine how strong your core can be and how much work that can do for for your bones if you are doing things like that I mean yeah I, sound I mean like I'm, more I'm still like you know you know eat too many chips and drink too much and don't go to the gym because I can't be arsed so I'm like I'm you know by no stretch of the imagination some sort of wonder woman mm. but I'm doing more than I should and I'm just thinking you know try and keep it at bay and and manage it my own way and I 
yeah, just I'm I'm hopeful. I'm really am hopeful that I don't have to go back and have anything. But yeah, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? I'll tell you, Ring. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Absolutely. All right, Ring. Well, um, thank you so much for sharing your story. Fascinating and. Um, and actually, like, again, you're, you're so kind of pragmatic and, um, you know, just get on with it type person. But I don't probably think you you realise how inspiring that is going to be to, to people that listen to this. And um, maybe a lesson to other people who are a bit, woe is me, why is anything working out for me? I don't get any luck. Uh, you're probably the, the most unluckiest person I've met and, and look at what, <laughs> what, what you've carved for yourself. So um, the only thing I would say is the unluckiness is carrying on because you are getting married to John Bass so you know yeah i mean imagine working that hard to then take that geezer home to your mum <laughs> for those that don't know john bass is the biggest man in north london yeah i mean he's he's a pretty big guy pairing <laughs> as well oh god right yeah. let's let's leave it there You're gonna be sick. Um, <laughs> what an out, outline that is. <laughs> thank you reed take care no worries thanks mate bye thank you. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.